Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 266. And just as a quick disclaimer before we jump into today's interview with Alana, this conversation was recorded just before we heard about the most recent triggering and totally traumatizing news around Brianna Taylor's murder and the unfortunate and truly disappointing lack of criminal charges that ended up being part of the settling of her case, which just really resulted in what's known as wanton endangerment for essentially shooting at other apartments and not even acknowledging the criminality of shooting into Brianna Taylor's apartment and ultimately killing her. That horrific news from just last week is part of the daily microaggressions, which aren't that micro after all, the daily reminders that folks of color witness just by being a part of our world and seeing white supremacy and patriarchy and those intersections acting on women of color all the time. So I do think it was just worth mentioning before we jump in, while we talk about the unique stresses that women of color face and how to navigate our very flawed world, um, we didn't specifically mention the recent happenings with Brianna Taylor because they hadn't yet happened when we recorded this interview. And it's just a terrible and frustrating reminder that we can barely go a week in this country without traumatizing news related to the brutalization of black bodies and black women in particular in our world. So I am horrified. I'm outraged. And you're not going to hear me mention it in this interview simply because of the timing of, of when we produce this episode. So I'd be happy to have that conversation moving forward. But in the meantime, for right now, for today, I want to introduce you to Alana Webster, the incredible podcaster uh, who I sat down with for this interview. Take a listen. Today, we have a really delightful interview for you with Alana Webster. Alana, she's been a longtime member of our Courage community here at Bossed Up. And she and I have been swapping a few emails over the course of the past six months, primarily because she is a longtime Life Checker Planner user. And I email those planner peeps at least once or twice a month about stuff related to goals and planning. And, and Alana wrote me an email that made me think, you know what? I need to talk to this woman. And I need to talk to her on the podcast. She wrote this. I wanted to drop you a quick line to say thank you for giving me something to look forward to. I ordered my Life Tracker Planner for 2021. I squealed with excitement when I saw your email regarding pre-ordering them right into the ear of a nurse who was giving me my COVID test. And I'm already thinking positively and making plans for 2021. I realize that in this uncertain time, I cannot firmly hold on to those plans. They'll change. This I'm anticipating. 
But seeing your email regarding planners for 2021 made me realize that 2021 will come in the best or worst of time. So why not give myself something to look forward to? The first thing to look forward to is getting my new planner and filling it up with my goals for the year. This is my third year with your planner. I thought no planner could beat the beautiful ones Kate Spade puts out every year, but I would feel truly directionless without it. Even though this year has been a wash, I have not stopped using my 2020 planner. Got to keep that goal attainment muscle strong, even when hope feels hard to find but never lost. So thanks for giving me a morsel of excitement though the nurse whose ear is still ringing for my excited scream probably doesn't feel the same. I hope your glass is constantly half full always, and your I did list continues to grow. Love, lights, and lots of champagne, Alana. I think we ended up writing a few more emails back and forth to each other about what a great copywriter she is, and that's when she helped me make the connection between her and Black and Yellow, the podcast that she hosts, which I've seen in the Courage community. She's talked about before. She's definitely emailed me about it before. I just, I didn't put two and two together. Uh, things have been a little crazy. And when I looked more into her podcast and I started listening to episodes of Black and Yellow that she hosts with her fantastic co-host, Jacqueline Chung Young, I realized that she talked quite a bit about self-care as it relates to being a woman of color in particular and just how radical self-care can be. But I have to say, we kind of take this conversation in a bunch of unpredictable directions. So do we talk about being a woman of color in a global pandemic with the rise of police brutality all happening in the shit show that is 2020 and how that's even possible to survive? Yes. So let me jump right into it by introducing you to Alana J. Webster, the actor, podcaster, and writer living in Los Angeles, California. Her voice can be heard on such shows as The Chi, All-American, 13 Reasons Why, which I was obsessed with for a while, Mrs. America, awesome, and The Last OG and Homecoming, season two. She's the co-host of the intersectional feminist podcast, Black and Yellow, where she and her co-host discuss societal issues facing African-American and Asian-American women. She's also one of the creators and writers of the new web series, The Madams, about two financially strapped sisters who decide to take control of their finances and start a sexy new business. Alana Webster, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. So glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm excited about this. I am really excited about it. I have to say your podcast, Black and Yellow, is delightful and it's like delicious pop feminism, if I can call it that. Oh my God, stop it. Thank you so much. I have goosebumps. But I have to say, I've been listening to you ever since your spinty days with Bridget and your chemistry with Bridget and just the brightness and the liveliness of that show definitely inspires Black and Yellow. So thank you. I see you. Well, I have to say, you your vocals, you remind me of Bridget vocally. I got to tell Bridget Todd to take a listen to your podcast. Okay, tell us a little bit about uh, Black and Yellow and what caused you and Jackie to start it and really what you're trying to do. Like, how, how did you come to this work, really? Sure. So at the risk of sounding like many other creative endeavors, we wanted to start the podcast in reaction to the election of Donald Trump and how he generally just spews vitriol, hatred, and untrue facts about Asian Americans and African Americans. My co-host and I, Jackie, we started out as friends working in a, a, a high-end whiskey joint, and we would just be on the floor talking race and feminism and sexism and ageism, and the conversation sort of never stopped. 
And so we just decided this should probably be a podcast. And so she was a server. I was a hostess. It wasn't a very busy restaurant. So I would just sit and write out topics and show ideas and thoughts. And she was down to go along. And so at a certain point in time, we laid down a couple of episodes I no longer showed up for work and we were doing the podcast full time. And um, we want to take the awkwardness out of race conversations. We feel like in order to have honest conversations about race, sex, gender, class, all of that stuff, we've got to be willing to ask the hard questions to put ourselves on the journey of learning and understanding other people's perspectives. We've always wanted to feel like you're two homegirls in a bar Oh, that feels, that sounds so nice. Uh, sitting back, talking race in a really chill, easy way. Yeah. We don't want it to be too high flouten or too um, unattainable. Sometimes talks about race can feel super high flouten. And if I don't have a certain, I guess, education background or some sort of formal footing in the world, then one can't understand. And we don't believe in that. We want everyone to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, what, which is interesting because it takes very smart like approach to make it that fun and your show is fun that's the thing you're covering some very unfun topics with such an LA edge to it it's so very Los Angeles and I love it you're a lifelong Angelina right yes born and raised my license plate proudly proclaims I am California bred yeah um I went to college though in upstate New York I knew because I knew I wanted to be an actor I went and got the upstate New York lifestyle, saw snow for the first time and all of that jazz, which really sort of blew my mind about race because it was the East Coast. It was East Coast race uh, issues that I had never actually discovered full on that I never really knew existed. So it was a different way of jumping in over there, which was really exciting. But I was happy to come back to the West Coast. Yeah. I mean, in L.A. in particular, I mean, there's certainly West Coast racism, too. Aren't, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> racism yes. for all, right? <laughs> Every kind. Racism is all across the United States. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'd be curious, like, tell me more about what got you interested in race to begin with. Obviously, being a young black woman, that's part of it. But I thought your, your upbringing would would be interesting for my listeners to know more about too and your parents. So my parents are working professionals. My dad is a judge in Compton Court. So he's seen race play out. He's been there for about 20 years. So he's seen race relations play out for a, a, a long amount of time. He was down there for the 92 riots. Yeah. He's seen the the rise and fall of black culture through Compton, Inglewood, Willowbrook. Uh, And then my mom is a now retired superintendent for the Long Beach Unified School District. So she had a lot of information and experience teaching black and brown students and addressing the difficulties and the perils that they go through in terms of finding their footing in the professional world, but the world writ large. Also, a lot of them tend to be from immigrant families. So also having to contend with the English not being a second language, but you can still have a kick butt career. You can still be successful. You can still overcome that quote unquote obstacle, if you will, which I don't think learning two languages is an obstacle at all. I feel like I watched race play out through their eyes. 
And I saw it change. Especially where you were and when you were growing up there. And also, I mean, just the intersections of class and race um, and gender, just it's an interesting perspective, I think, to grow up with those dinner table conversations, especially around 92 riots and dads working in the, the judicial system. That's wild. Yeah. And I grew up in Venice in the 90s before my parents moved to Ladera Heights. So even seeing how a place like Venice has changed always and, and being able to be a part of that close up right. has never left me. Yeah. Well, that's so, so fascinating. Um, and I can tell by your your delightful vocals that you are a voiceover actor today. Would you call yourself yes. that? And you're in this you're in the L.A. scene. So you're doing all the things. It's amazing. Yes. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you about the the dark side of doing all the things. Which... <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I know. Which is sort of where I think a lot of people find ourselves right now. Mm-hmm. Um, very stressed out with the dumpster fire that is 2020. And now, not only do we have a global pandemic that is sweeping the world, that has become very political here in the U.S., but we also have, I feel like, almost a mainstreaming of the Black Lives Matter movement, maybe a crescendo when it comes to press coverage and attention being paid. And everyone, including white people who are newly paying attention to this, are pretty beleaguered by mm-hmm. by the news. But today we're not really focused on white folk stress. I want to focus on the burnout elements or the the chronic stress that folks of color are dealing with right now. <sighs> and is it even worth looking at it from that nuance because when we talk about burnout, which I do quite a bit, you know, looking at how stress like many things in this country are not doled out equally, I think is a helpful lens to bring to this conversation. How are you feeling, first of all? How's 2020 treating you? How, how are you coping personally? So, so yes, I think it's important to talk about burnout with, with nuance and with context, because without those two things, we can't solve problems. But the reality is, being a young African-American woman, burnout is just a reality, and it feels right. like a state of, of regular being, not just for people in my generation, but all across the diaspora and across all ages. Um, the reality is that burnout in terms of the black culture is a thread that's part of the weave that makes up the fabric of our lives. We never really get over it, quote unquote, as much as we learn to live with it. I sort of personify burnout as like a ratchet cousin who's coming to a family gathering. It's like, oh, here he comes, burnout. And your mom's like, no, 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 honey, be nice. He's your cousin. You love each other. Give him a hug. Don't say anything that skirts the line between nice and nasty. And inevitably, you know, you sort of placate that person until there's a blow up and you have to sort of deal with it. Um, And for a lot of African-Americans, that looks like health problems that manifests itself into physical ailments, physical beings that then we have to go to the doctor to deal with. And that's scary in a time of the pandemic where there's a lot of pre-existing conditions in my culture. Going out to receive good medical care is, let's be real, it's a joke. Our medical our medical system is not set up to provide African-Americans with adequate medical care. So even that feels like taking a risk and even that feels like taking your life into your own hands to some degree. Right. I mean, I don't even think people understand that fully. I want to make sure we do because a lot of doctors 
get defensive and medical professionals get defensive. My mom works in labor and delivery and I'm like, yes. hey, mom, yeah. black women die at three to four times the rate that white women die in during or shortly thereafter childbirth. What's up with that? Yeah. And her first instinct is, and granted, like, this is true for so many people, but is to get really defensive and say, no, 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 no. We do a really good job. And so when we talk about public health, just simply creating trust between either black women or black communities with medical professionals it's sort of like you can't just PR your way to improving that relationship when the facts are black pain is ignored in a higher in a in a is more likely to be ignored by all kinds of medical professionals just from unconscious bias and how racism manifests in the in the healthcare industry or just the access to medical care a lot of lower income african americans live in food deserts and medical deserts where there's either no medical facility or hospital close or it's an understaffed understocked right hospital where that might not be able to serve the broader community at large because it might not have the specialized trained doctors, nurses, physicians, or just might not have the necessary tools. And I think for a lot of African-Americans, we're overworked, underpaid, and in barely good health on a good day. And so the idea of then having to put ourselves through emotional labor and stress of having to figure out a healthcare provider that we cross our fingers and hope will treat us equally and will take our pain seriously, sometimes that decision feels like a challenge some of us just aren't willing to bear at this moment in time where the world is, as you said, a dumpster fire. And it could feel, quite frankly, unsafe to go to a place of safety to hope to be treated well. Right. And so and we've seen the medical disparities and how this pandemic is not killing people equally either. And then you level that with just the day to day news as it relates to violence, police violence, police brutality, violence against black people of of all walks of life. And it just it's a lot for a non black person to handle. And I just, you know, I, I wonder the the conflict I always um question is the part of you that wants to, you know, focus on self-preservation versus the part of you that wants to stay informed. How do you balance that that balancing act or how do you navigate that? So let's be real. If I wasn't hosting a podcast, I probably wouldn't be watching the news as much as I do. We have a trauma porn fixation in this country. We have no issue continuously running black and brown people being shot and killed on national television on a cycle over and over and over again. Not only are we as African-American adults having to make sure that our uh, mental capacities are not taxed watching that, but we've also got to watch out for the mental capacities of our young ones, young cousins, young sisters who are also watching that, who are who might not have a grasp on what full systemic racism is, but they see people with their skin color dying on TV and heaven forbid, but I know that it happens. They think, am I next? Is my life not important? Is that, am I not worth saving? And so the answer to your question is, I feel like if I stop watching the news, then there's a part of 
me that has let them win, if that makes any sense. Like, no, I'm not going to stop watching the news. Yes, this is a painful, these are painful videos. This is a painful image. But me stopping watching means that you partially win because that means that a part of my fire will go out. And watching these videos keeps me ignited and it keeps me activated. So no, I won't give up that fight. I won't do that for you. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I feel like there's also a very radical element to (laughs) self-care. Right. And and I think boundaries, knowing, you know, having agency and choice like you're describing and that choosing is the most important component here. But I love whenever we can talk about self-care as it relates to activism or as it relates to the radical act that is putting yourself first in a society that continues to put you last. I feel like people treat self-care in my community as like this relaxing, luxurious, privileged thing. But no, taking care of yourself, be it your mental self, your physical self, your emotional self, your spiritual self, that's all part of the work. And I think that part of the challenge for me and others in my community is really giving ourselves permission mm. to do that work. Yes, we've got to do the, the the work to pay the bills, the actual quote unquote work, right. but the work that we do on ourselves is just as important and is just as valuable. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you got those messages from your parents? Because I think there's a it's sort of like, how do we break the chain Mm -hmm. of martyrdom? And I wrote a whole book about it, frankly, because I didn't get that message from my mom. But, you know, as it relates to like the messages I hear from a lot of folks of color in our community are I have to work twice as hard to go half as far. Oh, yes. What do you do with a, a, a teaching like that? How do you process something like that while still maintaining agency in a world that doesn't really give you full agency? That's a loaded question. I will agree with you. I did not absorb the, I didn't absorb that uh, work-life balance lesson from my parents. Not at all. I'm a single latchkey kid. I think that the pandemic and really being forced to slow down played a big part in it. There's a feminist writer, Iron Duty Roy. She wrote a small piece and also filmed it on YouTube um, about how the pandemic is a portal. It's shedding who we used to be and walking through this portal into the person that we have the potential to and or want to become should we really lean into the challenge of becoming that person. And there was something about watching that early on in the pandemic, which caused me to do a sort of life audit, if you will, to see exactly where where the extra stuff I was doing that wasn't necessary was, if that makes any sense. Definitely. I feel like it's that concept of clearing the plate and just adding back onto the plate what you think is actually most important. Yes. And it's very rare that we are faced with inflection points in our lives when our plate just gets cleared completely, right? This was that moment for all of us collectively, right? Everyone's plate got cleared. And if you were lucky, you still have a job on that plate. But even that didn't wasn't there for a whole bunch of people. And we're left asking, well, who am I? What am I now? What is important enough to place back on that clean slate, so to speak? Now I'm thinking about a cheese board, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm hungry. Um, But it's like... 
you know, like what is important enough that I want to bring this with me into the other side of the portal? I think that's a really good point. What has come up for you in that process? Like what have you not picked back up and what have you taken with you? So you make a plate. You want a cheese board. You want like a lovely (laughs) charcuterie. I've looked at it more in cocktail form just because it's hot. It's summertime. Like I want my three favorite liquors all mixed together and I want to hang out on my (laughs) deck. And the three things that I've learned that I need through this process are laughter, movement, and nostalgia. Nostalgia, I think, particularly being the one that is really cut through for me. Um, I used to sleep on its healing powers and now I'm all for it through the process of watching so much black death and pain and sorrow on TV or just on, on the internet, on the news everywhere. Yeah. I feel like I have to balance that with black beauty, black excellence, black joy, black sophistication. And so for me, that looks like watching all of those wonderful movies and television shows from the late 90s, early 2000s, <laughs> that golden era of yeah. black television. Fresh Prince. Yeah, your sister, sister, a different world, girlfriends, Martin, hanging with Mr. Cooper, all of the goods. It's like 2001 up in my house once the sun goes down. (laughs) But really feeling like in moments where it feels like the world is telling me you're still three fifths of a human. Yeah. I realize that you have quote unquote equal, you know, you're you're equal and you're free, but you're not really equal. Your dark skin still holds you back. There's still still systemic problems that prevent you from moving forward. You're still making 61 cents to your white male counterparts dollar sort of a thing. And I feel like I have to balance that and watching shows like that remind me why I love being black and that being black is beautiful. And so then I just feel restored the next day. If that makes Interesting. any sense. Yeah, it's kind of like black joy inoculates you against the harsh racist realities of our day-to-day lives. And there's got to be a balance there. I'm not allowed to make pandemic references anymore. I used to say things like courage is contagious, but I'm not I can't I can't even say inoculates anymore before people start getting triggered because life is scary right now. Yeah, I mean I struggle. I struggle. I got that question from someone yesterday when I was doing a webinar about job seekers, and they were like, this is all fine and good uh, for a white person, but what about how much harder this is for folks of color or differently abled folks or, um, you know, non-cisgender folks? And, And the question is so valid, and yet it's hard to say, to look injustice straight in the eye every day and say this isn't fair, this playing field is not level, and yet I will not allow that reality to shape my own internal identity and my own choice over how I react to it, right? And that's the radicalness of that choice. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent, absolutely. But I also feel like there are so many elements that make up millennial minority burnout. And I think that it's also important that we give ourselves permission to not go ham and as hard as possible every single day to handle all of those separate issues all day. Does that make sense? Like we've got to switch off a little here, a little there to not overwhelm ourselves, but also not push our better interests to the back burner in the process. Especially during a time like this where I know for me, I'm a lot of my older African-American families uh, errand runner, picker, upper, driver, like I've got to be good for them. Yeah. 
paying it forward, if you will, as opposed to making sure that I have each and everything that I need. I'm willing to to make the sacrifice because it's the older generation that's at more risk. I'm an only child. Right. I want my parents Definitely. to stick around and my older family to stick around. So I pull up for them. And it's my reverence and my love. And there's a part of me that feels very fulfilled by doing that. And it makes the stress of the pandemic a little more tolerable. I feel like it's that sensation of progress, even if it's just quiet, everyday progress for the people you love. That's where I think we get activism wrong sometimes, is we're looking way too far outside of ourselves for how we can change the world. And sometimes the most radical thing you can do is make sure your own house is in order Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, and consider your loved ones broader than necessarily just who is in your house, right? Like, how can I take care of my neighborhood, of my family, of my community writ large? But yeah, there's a radical act in that, which is taking care of yourself and your loved ones isn't just manis and petties. Sometimes it's budgeting and sometimes it's grocery shopping and sometimes it's... We could forget that activism, similar to protest, is a spectrum. Do you know what I mean? Right. You don't just have to be out with your picket screaming the chance to protest. You can also be at home working the phones, calling Congress people, calling your heads of your personal neighborhoods, your personal communities to see how you can do better. I know that for my fiance and I, we do voice work. So the idea of being out protesting every single day was not something that we could feasibly do in the pandemic and still be able to go to work the next day. But we could offer to bail out a protester or two as our way of being like, cool, we can't be out there screaming the chance every day. But God help you. You can. We see you. We're happy to pay your way out so you can go back out there and fight the good fight. I think that that's also super valid because your community is part of Mm -hmm. radical acts of love and compassion and change. Yeah. And I think that the challenge is for everyone listening to this is to make sure you're asking yourself, what are we doing? What can we safely do? What can we, I I don't even want to say comfortably do because it's okay to make yourself a little uncomfortable for, you know, for fighting injustice. But are we still asking ourselves, what can we do in a way that's practical and sustainable? Like that's the era we're in whereby this is not news. This is not new. You know what I mean? Like we have to we have to sustain this this activism, which for some folks is very new. But thankfully they should they showed up to the party, right? Like we're happy to have you. Totally. Yeah. And so the question becomes, okay, what what can I do? I, I podcasted about recurring donations as a way to almost set it and forget it, but really just set it and continue to show up and pull up in ways that are sustainable for you. Um, but calling, calling the, the members of Congress whose offices you'd be shocked to actually care about those phone calls is such a good reminder. What about racial battle fatigue? Have you come across this term before of like the stress, the chronic stress of fighting the good fight, um, especially for communities of color? What are your thoughts on how to navigate that? I think I saw a turning point in being able to handle racial battle fatigue when I realized that my job is not to 
as my job as a podcaster, let me say, is not to um, do the emotional labor of convincing someone to believe that what I have to say about my community is true. I'm presenting you the facts. It's up to you to believe it. And I think doing this work, we've, we, meaning my co-host and I have come across people that are skeptical of the difficulties of African and Asian American individuals across the diaspora in the United States. And I think we both discovered, do I care about changing this single person's mind? Is it worth it to sink all of my energy into changing this one person's mind when I could get on a podcast platform and change more than one person's mind, if that makes any sense? That was uh, sort of the difference that I noticed between my my older cousin's generation talking about race and doing protests in the 90s versus now is this idea of they would present the facts and then go through the emotional labor of making sure you understood. And my generation's like, here are the facts, believe it or don't. But whether you like it or not, this world is getting blacker, gayer, yellower, browner. So digest these facts and keep up or you're going to get left behind. But we're not necessarily waiting for you to, to come to your senses. It's 2020. Right. And you know what? I totally get that from a self-preservation like standpoint because having to convince someone of your own humanity and your own experience and your own truth when they're denying it is exhausting and doesn't it doesn't need to be done and then i find myself struggling to even begin to explain some basic racism mm-hmm. 101 to a room full of white friends, right, who most recently I was at a barbecue, a little backyard barbecue. and Jealous. We were talking about – I know. We were all masked up, to be clear. There was like eight <laughs> people there. Uh, we were all socially distancing. And we were talking about the Trader Joe's uh, end oh, yes. of Trader yeah. Jose, the brand, and Trader Ming's. And I was like, I can't f- believe, like, I bought a, a salad, an Asian salad, and brought it home and looked at it and said, Brad, this says Trader Ming's on it. How is this okay? This is so racist. The next day, the story broke that they were, you know, ending that line. So it was weird timing. And a, a, a couple of my white friends were like, well, what's wrong with that? Ah. And, and I was like, um... Where do I – I really struggled and I was like, this is white people's job. This is my job as a white ally. I'm supposed to educate my fellow white folks <laughs> on why – like how do you even get – but when we're so far apart because our media channels keep us on different planets, mm-hmm. right, uh, it, it does feel like we are talking right past each other sometimes. And so I, I struggle balancing that self-preservation of, listen, I'm not going to explain this to you because you, sh- you got to keep up with, wow, we are two Americas and we're not listening to each other at all. Yeah, absolutely. So two things in terms of the name changes at Trader Joe's, we've been seeing a lot of these uh, placeholders or placaters also in the black community, too, of like uh, the the Washington Redskins is incurring a name change. Right. Splash Mountain is being redone. They're taking out blackface episodes of Parks and Recs and the Golden Girls. And it's like all of that is well and good. But that was racism that we have been fighting since uh, uh, my granddaddy's yeah. generation. What about the racism right. of the now? What about prosecution for Breonna Taylor? And I understand what you mean in terms of where to begin and and the work to be done as a white ally and how do I do that? I think so. 
doing this work, I think we can't forget that our government wants us to focus on the racial divide in our country and completely negate the fact that really the problem in this country is a socioeconomic problem. It's a class problem. It's a socioeconomic problem. And I think if we continue to just focus on the race and not talk about the economics of this problem, we're going to keep playing into their hand. Right. I'm currently finishing, um, how to be an anti-racist by Ibram X. Kundi. And he talks about the twins of racism and capitalism. And I'm really, as an entrepreneur, as an enterprising free market fan, I'm really trying to wrap my head around. I, I gotta, I'm like, I'm, I'm really wrestling it with, with it right now because I just got to that chapter last night. And there is so much truth to the fact that capitalism and racism are completely and have always been so interwoven that, yeah, there's, you're right, like the elites, whatever, you know, however they look, the elites are trying to keep us all bickering amongst ourselves so we're not paying attention to those who are running away. Yeah, those running away with like 97% of the nation's or the global wealth, <laughs> right? It's just, it's the numbers are staggering. It's wild. Have you yeah. read The Wretched of the Earth? By Franz, no. uh, his last name is escaping me, but it's it's all about how capitalism, imperialism, and race all intertwine. I highly recommend it. If 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 okay. you read that chapter in Doctor Kendi's book, and you're like, hold on, I want to know more, I want to dig deeper, I will email you the name of that book. But it is a great read, and I feel like you would like it because it was it's on No Name, the rapper's book list, required book list. I feel like it's a good marriage of like hip hopiness. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's what this has always been about. And honestly, I'm, I don't know. I, I feel like conversations like this are very necessary in 2020. And that maybe that's one of the things we can all collectively put on our cheese plate <laughs> or in our cocktail glass or whatever the metaphor is that we're rolling with and say, just because we're all stuck at home does not mean we can't expand our worldview during this time. I feel like I'm more connected in a weird way to my community and to my immediate neighborhood more now than I ever was pre-pandemic. Tell us a little bit more about your fantastic podcast, Black and Yellow, and why my listeners should go check it out right now. And then we'll have to have you back because clearly we have more to talk <laughs> about. But give us a, where should we find you if we want to hang out with you? Thank you. So uh, Black and Yellow, we can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We are, our, our logo is a black and yellow yin yang. Pretty easy to tell. Um, and then you can find us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. And uh, you can go ahead and find me, Alana Webster, at Renegade of Fun. If you want to reach out to and email the podcast, we are podcastblackandyellow at gmail.com. And we come out with new episodes every Thursday, about noon-ish. And um, E Diddy, I hope that you get that charcuterie board and 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 don't melt over there in Denver. I know, right? I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a delight, and I can't wait to to talk more. Thank you for having me. Learn more and get links to everything we discussed in today's conversation at bossedup.org/episode two sixty six.
And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Yeah, it's time for the boss move of the week. And this week, I want to give a hearty shout out to Margaret, who is not only a member of our community and such a boss, but she's also a hired program alum. She just graduated from our three-month job search accelerator program, Hired. And here's what she wrote recently in the Bossed Up Courage community. Actually, it was a few weeks ago now in the Bossed Up Courage community on her journey to landing her next job. Here's what she wrote. Super excited. It's the first week of networking and sending out my newly polished resume. And I landed an interview for next week. Feeling hopeful thanks to the hired cohort. I love that, Margaret. I'm so proud of you. I also happen to know that Margaret is now on round, I think, seven with this same company that's been interviewing her one week after the next. So part of the job search challenge is not just getting yourself out there and putting your best foot forward, but just honestly like sustaining yourself and maintaining motivation and maintaining that that ability to put your best foot forward again and again and again in what can be such a long, drawn-out, and tumultuous process. So I want to give a hearty shout-out to Margaret and all my fellow job seekers out there who are doing the thing, polishing up their resumes, and putting themselves out there. If I can ever be of service to you, definitely check out our free job search guide at bossup.org slash job search. It's awesome. It's free. It's very comprehensive. Or if you want more hands-on support and you want to troubleshoot with four other job seekers and your job search coach every single week for the next 12 weeks, you can check out Hired, our three-month job search accelerator that is truly helping transform the job search process for our members of our community. Head to bossedup.org slash get hired to learn more. Now, I want to hear from you, boss. What did you think about our conversation today? We talked about some pretty heavy topics And we talked about the radical act of taking care of yourself in the face of this systemic oppression and injustice. What are you doing right now to care for yourself? How are you radically setting boundaries to sustain yourself? I want to hear from you. Let's talk about it in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. If you haven't joined us there already, you can just get a a direct link uh, to join us there by signing up for our emails at bossedup.org, or we'll drop a link in today's show notes. Uh, It's free in case that's not obvious. And there's like 4,000 other people there that want to champion you and who live by that fantastic and timeless motto of the first black women's club in the U.S. that really said it best way back in 1896. And that is, of course, lift as we climb. So let's keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together let's lift as we climb. 